Hello and welcome to the Heal Your Heart, Heal Your Life podcast. I'm Kiara Jade and I'll be your host for this episode. Today's topic is something that's very near and dear to my heart. We'll be talking about consent education. What is consent education? Why is consent education important? If you're not sure, this is the podcast for you. Um, I think consent education has so much to do with trauma and prevention of trauma in our schools, with young people going through their first sexual experiences Um, And even for adults in later life, I think there's still a lot that can be learned from consent education. So the way I'm going to explain this today is I'm going to go into kind of like the issues that are arising due to a lack of consent education and how consent education and doing these workshops can be the remedy for that, essentially. So we're going to explain how we're in this position at the moment where unfortunately, um, We have seen these horrific statistics that sexual assault is on the rise in young people and that um, I think it's one in three people are victimized by um, some sort of sexual abuse or violence in general. Um, So how do we prevent that? How how can we be putting in the proper... Uh, mechanisms to protect our young people to keep our people safe and why is this even happening why is this getting more endemic than it was before let's find out the rise of pornography has been a huge thing in our younger generation in the millennial generation and um even younger um we have our phones these days our amazing technology technological phones that we can take everywhere with us and have anything we want at the touch of a button, which is phenomenal in some aspects. We're learning more than we ever could before. Information is shared so readily and easily, but also harmful in other aspects in in such a way that porn is now readily available to everyone, no matter what your age, no matter where you are. Um, Back in the day, people had to go into like a magazine store and buy a Playboy, and that was an uncomfortable experience. And that was the way they were getting their kind of porn or I guess just looking at photos that way of that way of dealing with their sexuality managed um so it was a lot harder to have access in the past whereas now we have it all at our fingertips and even young kids on um social media platforms and google and things like that are accidentally coming across this stuff and we just leaving our young people, I guess, vulnerable to the porn industry's effects because we don't have the training, we don't have the workshops, we don't have the things in place to actually teach them that this stuff can be harmful, number one. I think everyone's just, a lot of people look at it like, oh, it's a positive thing, you know. And in some aspects, people learning about their sexuality can be really positive, but in other aspects, it's it cannot be. And in pornography, a lot of consent does not even exist. So you don't often hear, unless it is like maybe feminist pornography or some specific pornography, that consent is ever mentioned. No one has ever asked, are they okay with this kind of thing that is about to happen to them? Usually it just either happens or sometimes you'll even get a no. And then it's almost like there's this like stereotype that, A no could mean yes if you try harder. And this is a bad stereotype that we're teaching our young people because a no should always mean no. It shouldn't be try harder. Um, So there's a lot of little underlying beliefs that are being 
transmitted via our technology these days. And this is happening to young people as young as 11 is what the research is stating. And people are horrified to find out about that. They, it's one of those things that people want to keep their head in the sand about. Parents go, no, that's the school's responsibility. I don't want to have to deal with it. My son's not doing that. I, I just don't want to, I don't want to have that uncomfortable conversation. So I'm just going to avoid it. Um, schools are going, that's not our domain. You know, that's the parents' domain. Um, so whose domain is it to be teaching these kids? How are we going to get these prevention materials across? And how can we empower parents and teachers to be able to have these conversations and not feel incredibly awkward about them because we've normalized them? And I don't want to jump in too early to the, my next point, but so porn teaches us at a young age that people can be sex objects essentially and that people aren't necessarily humanized it's not a person with fears and who might cry and things like that it is a sex object to be used for pleasure and by denoting this this can be really unhelpful because then someone might go out into the world and and, and start treating people like sex objects instead of like actual human beings which is not what we want to be teaching um Porn can lead to a lot of pressure in relationships. So if someone has a specific act that they've watched, they will potentially want to recreate that in their own relationships. And then there becomes this pressure for um, women to perform or for people to do things they're not necessarily comfortable with. And that can lead to a lot of stress on young people of like, Am I ever going to find love if I have to do all these things in order to get it? Um, and finally, porn does have an effect on our psyche. A, a lot of people would probably argue this with me, but if you look at, for example, Brazilian waxes, right? Um, weird example, I know, but <laughs> you'll find that with the rise of certain kinds of pornography, this has resulted in what I believe is pressure being applied to relationships, which has meant the social norm has changed that, you know, the expectation is to be hairless and that Brazilian waxes became the solution to that. And as time progressed, um, not only did that go from something that was never, that never really happened to something that was completely normalized. Um, but even women now, would normalize it within themselves that they have the expectation of themselves to sometimes be completely hairless. Um, so I find that a really interesting example of how a pornified commodity became a standard typical social norm that is expected of us in relationships now. And I think a lot of the time people don't think back to the connection between the two. They just go, oh, you know, it's just something that's always been talked about, you know. Um, it's, it's just something I've always known. Um, but, but let's look at the origins of that and where did that come from? And is it necessarily true? Is it necessarily something we need to prescribe to? Or is it something that can be challenged? So our boys are going through that. They're learning that they're learning this way of relating that isn't necessarily real life. Porn is a movie at the end of the day. And it's like any movie you go and watch in the cinemas, um, often are romanticized. You'll go to romantic comedies and things like that where they just ride off into the sunset and everything is beautiful. And 
when we get that bit older, we learn that, no, that's not necessarily what relationships are like. It's not always running off into the sunset. Often there's arguments. Often there's a lot of challenges that kind of get in the way that you need to, like, you need to work on relationships. They don't just fall into your lap and go perfectly. Um, And it's kind of the same thing with porn. So porn will posit that, you know, this is the way to sexually relate to people. And that's not necessarily true. It's a fantasized, fetishized version of that. Um, But when you're a young person, when you're 11 and you're consuming this content, you don't know that. You don't have another, you don't have another experience to relate to. Whereas an adult going in and watching porn knows, oh, yeah, this isn't always the way this, (laughs) this kind of thing works. Um, But, you know, for the sake of entertainment, I'm going to watch it. Um, But a young person goes, this is how this is meant to go. And there's just that, what's the word? It's social learning theory. That's what it's called in psychology. It's when we're in those early stages of learning a new skill, we will look around and see what is modeled to us. And we will take that on as our model of how to behave. Um, You can look into this further if you're interested. Um, But I find it really interesting in this context because it's like, what we watch often becomes how we will act in a certain scenario that is unusual and unfamiliar to us. Not always, you can never admit causation to things, but without significant research, (laughs) Um, but there is a potential, there's a possibility. It's a whole theory and a a theory of learning that um, we have witnessed in other aspects um, in humans. So we've got to keep that in mind. Our boys are struggling with that and struggling with addiction because pornography can get quite addicting when you've got um, like teenage neural pathways firing. The brain is still developing and it can develop to the point where um, this can become a significant addiction quite young because um, there's still a lot of neuroplasticity and in the brain when it's a developing brain, as opposed to when it's an adult, things are a bit more set in stone and a bit harder to change patterns and things like that. Um, So I don't blame anyone in this situation. Young boys are just as much victims in a way of the porn industry as young girls Um, because they have kind of been indoctrinated into this thing that they don't even realize isn't reality and could be potentially harmful down the track. Um, And if you're like, where is she getting all this information from? I did a thesis on this a few years ago, and that's what I found, um, that this can be significantly addictive, like just as addictive as like an alcohol or a drug addiction, pretty much, um, because you're getting that pleasure response from watching the porn. And that's, of course, going to make you your brain go, we're going to continue doing this more and more and more. And it gets to a point where um it's like it's like when you're drinking right when you're used to drinking every weekend you drink a certain amount and then it gets to the point where that certain amount just doesn't do it for you anymore you don't get as drunk or as bubbly or as tipsy as you used to on that certain amount so you need to up it you need to have more in order to get the same response same thing with porn so you know just average everyday porn doesn't do it for you anymore and suddenly that's not eliciting the same pleasure response that you're looking for So what happens there is it gets weirder and weirder and weirder because that is the way to elicit the response. So I think it's super important to note that there's a million different ways we can be addicted to things out there. And it doesn't just have to be a physical thing like a drug. 
Um, it can definitely be porn addiction, work addiction, um, food addiction. There's a whole heap of addictions out there that are not necessarily um, spoken to or recognized as addictions or can easily be played off as, you know, I'm just a really hard worker, but actually no, it is a work addiction because you're using it to avoid other things in your life and you're using it as a coping strategy and a pleasure response. Um, but they often go under the wayside. So that's important to note as well. But for our girls, how, how is this a problem and how do we need to remedy this with consent education? Society teaches women to, that femininity, the construct of femininity has a aspect of submissiveness in it and that we should always be putting others' needs before our own and never say no. And, you know, being that selfless mother archetype that, you know, she does everything, goes above and beyond for her kids and is absolutely exhausted at the end of the day, but we don't see that part. We just see that, oh, she, she's just a A-grade mother because she's all, there's always food on the table and she's all over it and looking after everyone and putting herself last, right? That is what we've taught. We've been taught is... Um, the feminine construct that this is how to be a woman this is how to be feminine and again this is something I want to challenge throughout this entire podcast not just on today's episode um because of course there's aspects of that where you want a caring mother you want someone who gives to her children gives to the people around her but you don't want that to be at the expense of her you don't want her to burn out and have a mental breakdown because she never learned to put herself first. So this is a construct that as women, we are dealing with every day. We get taught that we'll only be loved if we comply, if we sit down and, and, and deal with it. And, you know, it's smile. Why don't you smile? It's like, maybe I'm having a really bad day, but you know, you're telling me to smile so that I can like look happy for everyone else around me and make sure that they're all okay and put my own needs last. If I feel like crying or if I feel sad, I'm going to do it because it needs to be done. <laughs> like if we're just pushing that under the surface, it's not going to go anywhere positive. It's just going to explode out at someone else down the track. Um, there's a lot of guilt, a collective guilt around saying no. And I'm not, not just saying this is only women. This can definitely be men as well, but I see it a lot in the female archetypes around me. Um, that there is this collective trauma that I can't say, no, I have to, I have to be this kind, compassionate person who does everything for everyone. And if I do say no, there's this feeling of guilt within myself that I'm not doing enough or being enough or good enough. If I say no to picking up my son, you know, even though I had my yoga class on and I didn't really want to miss yoga, does that make me a bad mother? Like there's a whole bunch of societal programming is what I'm going to call it that tells us, you know, we have to say yes all the time. So this is what our young girls are dealing with. Um, and then will we be loved if we don't comply? Will we be abandoned? Will no one ever want to, you know, take me to formal if I don't, you know, go hang out and smoke with the boys at recess or whatever? This is what we're, what we're dealing with. It's like the stereotype of the good woman is, is one who does as she's told and then you get that woman who stands up and speaks out and you know goes and becomes a CEO of a company and suddenly she's labeled as bossy and you know 
arrogant and all of these things because we're not used to a woman in her power and in her truth and speaking up for things and speaking out against things. I think it's time we need to shift, shift the dialogue, shift the tone and change these power dynamics because the more we can empower people in general, the better society is going to be, male or female. If we can empower these boys to not fall into these addictions at young ages, we're going to empower our women to be able to, you know, have these healthy relationships with boys as well. It's a win-win situation. So, so that's where you'll get people saying like in a sexual situation, oh, I don't know, maybe, uh, uh, they don't want to say no. They have that guilt and that fear that if they say no, there's going to be negative repercussions. They're going to get punished. They're going to like have this person dump them or stop talking to them. Um, and then that is being misconstrued by the other party as I just need to try harder, which is not. It's just, I don't know how to say no, and I need to say no right now. But my conditioning has told me that if I do that, I'm going to be in the shit and everyone's going to hate me. So this is a recipe for disaster, right? Um, I honestly believe that this is a contributing factor, not necessarily the only factor, not necessarily um, like, yeah, the only part of this. But I think that this is why we're in this predicament where things are becoming endemic and we need to stop this problem from occurring. And this is why we've reached these epic proportions of assaults because things are being misconstrued. And the problem with this kind of stuff is you often will notice it's a problem by the time it's way too late. So we're already in these en endemic proportions of things. I wrote my thesis five years ago, guys, on the harms of pornography on young people. And it's only being picked up by the media now. And that's because it's, it's gotten to that point where the data is reflecting accurately what's going on. But that doesn't mean there was a whole nother generation of young people who've been traumatized in the meantime. Um, so that's where prevention is so important. And it's so good to be seeing that the government is finally acting on these things by adding more money into prevention of violence against women and things like that. The literature posits that gender inequality is one of the biggest underlying factors of why we're seeing such high rates in domestic and family violence. And it also posits that if we challenge gender inequality and if we make people aware that gender inequality exists, then we will also be preventing family violence. Um, and I can see why that is definitely related because if you think about it, um, if you look at like gender stereotypes and the idea of decision-making in families. It's often been in the past that the male was the head of the family and he would make the decisions and that that would not be challenged. And if we put that to the lens of body autonomy, it's like, do women feel like they need to put themselves last in this situation as well? And do they feel empowered enough to make decisions about their own body? Or are they defaulting back to, you know, gender stereotyping that we need to put other people's needs first and they're the ones that make decisions and we put ours second and we just kind of deal with whatever comes. Another thing to note is like, like I said before, that gender, I would call that a gender stereotype of the submissive good woman, being a good girl. You hear it all the time. Um, but what does that actually mean? What does that actually look like? What do you have to do to be a good, good girl? 
Um, does that mean that you have to give in even though you know it's wrong? Does that mean that you have to put a smile on your face even though you're actually unhappy? Does that mean that you have to look after everyone in the room even at the expense of yourself? You can be a nice person and look after everyone and choose to do that and not exhaust yourself. That is a completely different kettle of fish. I'm not telling you not to be a nice person, but I'm telling you that on those days that you are really struggling and that you need support for once, you don't have to be superwoman and do it all, right? You'll feel like you do have to, you'll feel this innate guilt. You'll feel like you're not enough or like I'm sick and I just can't handle the pressure of my family right now. And you know, there's something wrong with me. But that's not you. That's society telling you you need to be this superhero mom at all times, even when it's not appropriate. And that's conditioning. That's telling us that, you know, you you should be feeling guilty when you're sick and you just need to go lie down. Like you shouldn't have to feel guilty for saying no because you're sick or something like that. But that guilt is very pervasive. And then the final factor I think we need to talk about is the state of sex education in Australian schools. So personal experience I had no sex education in school I had this is what a vagina looks like right and these are the parts but there was nothing ever said about anything else that was pretty much it and sex ed is one of those things that is so hit and miss in every school some religious schools and independent schools, they don't have to go by what the government mandates. So the government's just mandated consent education said every school must have this. But religious and independent schools are not state schools. So they're not run by the government. So they can kind of still make their own decisions on things. So this means that even though it's been mandated, we're still going to have people fall through the cracks who never get taught, you know, at least a condom on a banana situation. Some people got that. A lot of people didn't. I find sex education often gets lumped into health category. So you're getting like PE health teachers who, you know, are interested in sport and not interested in having these uncomfortable conversations necessarily. Some might be Um, being thrown this, this sex ed class, like as a last thing, like last resort, oh, oh, you've got to add that in your health class. Yeah. You got to do it. And so they're half-heartedly teaching this topic that they're uncomfortable talking about or kids can drop health in like what year nine. So then do, does, is it only health kids who get to learn this stuff? It's just, it's very hit and miss the sex education. And again, the school goes, oh, this is the role of the parent. And the parent goes, this is the role of the school and it falls through the cracks and nothing gets done. And I think because of this, kids not only are being subjected to porn anyway, but they're, they're searching out porn to find out what to do in a sexual experience because they don't have the sex education. They don't know what they're doing and they're terrified of their partner finding out they don't know what they're doing. So let's go search out porn as like a a model of, of how this stuff works. So I don't look stupid when I end up in that situation. And so my thesis said that in a way, pornography has become the new sex education for millennials for young people and this is where those beliefs those treating people as objects um no consent whatsoever are coming into play and becoming problematic in actual sexual experiences so we need to fix that we need to go in and be teaching proper sex education um workshop it out like literally 
I would recommend to anyone getting someone in to have those conversations, because if you're getting an organization in, they've done their research, they're really passionate, they're super keen. They are probably from a background of mental health, well-being, or just health, nursing, that kind of thing. They have that experience. They're going to do 20 times a better job than some teacher who just got it as an extra and wasn't expecting it and hasn't even thought about it and feels really uncomfortable bringing it up with the kids. This is another method of prevention that we need to work on because often this is where consent education falls will be like a little tidbit in a sex education class. But we need more than that because the kids aren't aren't coping. The kids are turning to porn. We need more than that. So consent education is necessary, absolutely necessary, because it's going to help us challenge those gender stereotypes, right? That say you should be doing this. You shouldn't be doing anything you don't want to do. Full stop. It's going to teach people how to explore, how to say no clearly and effectively and respect that no, how to respect that no, that no does not mean try harder. No means no at the end of the day. It's going to give people who feel like they can't say no permission to be able to say no because it's going to allow them to have that right by doing this course. And they're not going to worry about like, well, they might still worry, but they're going to feel less stressed about having to say no and feeling guilty about that. It gives young people the tools to ask for consent clearly because this can also be awkward as well. It's like, how do we have that conversation without it being super clunky? And, you know, is it going to ruin the moment? No, it's not. Um, it, all it is, is, is this okay? That's all you have to do. Is this okay? You want to keep going. That's all you have to say. It doesn't have to be a, do you give me permission to do this? Best sexual experience I've had, someone was just saying throughout the whole time, like every now and then, you know, every five minutes, whatever, like, is this okay? You still good? All good? Yep. That's all that was needed. Noting when consent cannot be given, really big one, when someone is too drunk, when someone is underage, there's a few, there's a few of them out there that this does not count as consent. So when someone is too drunk, you should look after them and make sure they're okay, not take them to bed with you. Empowering all people to know that they have body autonomy and that they have the right to decide what's right for them in in any moment can be midway if it has to be. It'll challenge pornified views, consent education, that porn is reality, which it isn't. It'll stop unclear, murky, no consent sex from happening, which often can have disastrous consequences for all parties. And it'll challenge ideas that might lead to assault. So we need to be having these conversations with our young people as young as possible, but often this tends to land around the year nine, year 10 mark, because that's when we like to think people are having sex because that's more you know, comfortable to our brains than age 11. But this keeping our head in the sand stuff is not helping this situation. And I appreciate that not everyone is going to feel comfortable teaching a sex ed or a consent education class. I respect that, but that might not be your forte. But if it's not, find someone who can do it and do it well, because those kids deserve to hear that information and have it all laid out on the table for them so that they feel safe moving forward in their sexual experiences. Be the person that you needed when you were 15. You know what I mean? So I hope this has given you a bit more of a clear understanding as to what consent education actually is, why it's being talked about in the media at the moment, and how potentially you could implement this with your young person. You might be a parent, you might be a teacher, you might be a principal. These are the factors that are kind of leading us to like to problems and demise. And if we can challenge that in any way, it's our responsibility to do so. 
no matter how uncomfortable that is. So yeah, I hope you've learned something from this and all the best with teaching amazing consent education moving forward. Thanks guys.